We're going to hear and talk to Kyle today, who's a third-year medical student. Kyle uh, applied three times to the University of Utah School of Medicine, um, and we're going to talk about how he improved his application each time, as well as focus on the role of intramural and dominance of the medical students uh, in their sports endeavors. Uh, we're also going to talk about appropriate men's fashion, uh, both on the wards as well as in the operating room. Helping you prepare for one of the most rewarding careers in the world. This is Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with your host, the Dean of Admissions at the University of Utah School of Medicine, Dr. Benjamin Chan. All right. Uh, good afternoon. This is another edition of uh, Talking Med School Admissions and Med Student Life uh, with Dr. Chan. I have a special guest today. I'm here with Kyle. Hey, Kyle, how are you doing? Good, Mr. Dr. Chan, how are you? <laughs> doing well. You can call me doctor for this. Uh, fantastic. So I'm um, going to go ahead and let uh, Kyle just uh, introduce himself and uh, kind of talk about you know, where he came from and how he got here and what year he is in the medical school. So go Great. ahead, Kyle. Well, like um, I'm a third-year med student. We just started our third year. So um, on the second rotation, I'm doing psychiatry right now, so I really like it. I specifically like third year because we're out of the classroom. So it's probably one of the most exciting times because you had that big transition mm-hmm. um, out of the classroom. But I came from a small town in, in Utah. What, what's the name? It's called Morgan. Morgan, Morgan, Utah. Morgan, Utah. Shout out to all the Morgan people out there. That's right. Yeah. Um, it still does not have a stoplight, so it's very small. Uh-huh. But uh, migrated from there to Utah State and where I did four years of undergraduate. And then I came down here to the University of Utah for two years of graduate, okay. where I did uh, public health. Mm-hmm. So I was in the occupational health arena, but mm-hmm. uh, that really wasn't uh, my interest. <laughs> so I guess the question the question I get a lot when I'm out there, Kyle, is people tell ask me, like, can, if I go back and get my master's in public health, um, does that help me get into medical school? How would you answer that, Kyle? No. <laughs> Please expound. <laughs> so... For me, my master's was an opportunity to progress my original plan, and that was to be an industrial hygienist. And so it was part of that. Um, But when I went to apply to med school, I I didn't feel that my master's necessarily gave me an advantage um, with other applicants. It probably made me a little bit different, but I don't think it made me any more competitive. I've heard it may be better for resident uh, resident residency applications, but not necessarily for my medical school applications. It gave me something to talk about, and definitely the research helped, but many different people can get research many different ways mm-hmm. instead of just in a master's program. So that I didn't find out that it specifically made me more competitive. We only have six students in our class that have um, Postgrad, postgraduate degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, five of them are masters, and one of them is a PhD. And and the rest of the seventy six of them were were graduates. So I didn't feel that it was necessarily gave me a leg up or more competitive. It gave me more experience, which allowed me to to have a better talking points during interviews mm-hmm. and possibly during uh, my application. But it, I didn't feel that it necessarily made me more competitive. Yeah. And what I tell people when they ask me that question is that, um, you know, you need to go into public health if you have a genuine interest in public health. And Kyle's correct. It may help you down the road when you apply to residencies. But as far as applying to medical school, um, does not give you any uh, intangible benefit. It's not like we have some sort of point system and say, oh, so-and-so has a master's, they get a little bit more points. What I tell people is, um, and then I'm going to kind of ask more about this from Kyle, is, 
Um, a lot of people who do, don't get in their first year say, oh, if I go back and get a master's, will that improve my application? And what I like to tell people is that um, you should take that time that you would spend getting a master's in public health or what have you and kind of dedicate toward other activities to strengthen your application. And going back to our criteria, which includes physician shadowing, patient exposure, community service, uh, research, and leadership, you can get some of those through a master's program. But it's better to kind of go back and tackle all of them at the same time. Um, so, Kyle, did you get in the first time you applied? Nope. I didn't get in my first time. I didn't get in my second time. I was a lucky third-year applicant, and I got in off my third year. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really, I say, good experience now because it kind of allowed me to see what was wrong with my application. It wasn't necessarily my grades or my MCAT score or all the other areas that were lacking. It truly came down to what I was writing on my application, and it came down to my interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the things that kind of I felt, having gone through it three times, that pushed me over the edge. Mm-hmm. I felt that on my third time, I had really um, excellent writing. I had went above and beyond what I had done the years before. I had an editor um, that made sure that everything made sense, that I was communicating what I thought I needed to communicate because what I write wasn't always necessarily what people read. And so I wanted to make sure that that was happening. And then once I felt that my writing, both my personal statement for AMCAS and my U of U secondary were solid, um, I felt going into my interviews very uh, much more prepared because my, my the interviewers were able to read those things and they had a really good idea of where I was coming from. And then the questions, I was more comfortable um, with their questions, and they seemed to be more straightforward, and we could really just sit back and relax and talk. Yeah. Excellent. I like that, Kyle. So let's kind of break that down. So like the writing, I agree. Um, The writing is really important. It's a a way for an applicant to speak to all the different committee members, and everyone reads your personal statement. I know everyone out there really puts a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into coming up with really good essays and personal statements, and we really do read them. And, you know, the first and most obvious is, you know, yeah, have someone read through it. No typos, no grammar issues. And there's still people who misspell things in their uh, personal statements. Um, You know, people express interest in a wide variety of fields. I've had people misspell surgery and pediatrics in their personal statements. And, you know, uh, you know, reality check for everyone. We're a detail-oriented profession. Um, You know, you're going to be asked to do a lot of detail-oriented procedures and prescribing medications. So we really look for that. So that's really important. And it's a good way for us to get to know people. And so I always recommend take it seriously. Don't try to outthink it. Don't try to, you know, write it in iambic pentameter or in limericks or anything like that. Take it seriously and uh, just write to the committee about why you want to be a physician and who you are. Speaking of my personal statements, um, and I looked at the progression from my first time applying to my my third, my second and my third time applying, uh, it had changed substantially. The first time I was trying to be a little bit philosophical. The second time maybe I was listing. But the third time I really tried to focus on who I was because I realized I try to put myself in the way, in the, in the position of the person who read my, interv- uh, read my paragraphs. They read, I don't know how many they read, but they probably read a lot. A lot, I concur. I concur, yeah. <laughs> they, they read a lot. And so I tried to put myself in that, and I knew that I wasn't necessarily going to be an unoriginal because, or original because many people have done exactly what I've done. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to try to convey what I may be as a physician and not necessarily what I was going to do in a future practice or what I was 
what my plans were to change the world of medicine, but I just wanted to convey to them that I could survive medicine, mm-hmm. that I had the dedication and the determination to do it. And obviously they knew that I was a third year applicant, so I had the perseverance. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I wanted to, to help them see me as a physician. And I didn't want to list everything that I had done because I had done that before and that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so listing things, but I wanted to use a couple of examples that really hit home. And luckily enough, I was able to be over at uh, Children's Hospital and I worked in the OR and I had some really concrete examples that I could really dig down and deep and realize that, you know, I was dedicated to the field and I was determined and I could be a competent and caring physician, but I was, I was also human, that there's a human side of medicine that, that plays on your deepest emotions and and it's physically and mentally and intellectually demanding. And I think I was able to portray that because I got in. Yeah. And I thought that was the, the big difference is that they were able to hopefully see me more as a physician instead of somebody that was just trying to list off activities or trying to tell them anything about the field of medicine when I was not even in the field of medicine. Yeah. And the way to think about it, too, is to kind of echo what Kyle says, is that your personal statements, your interviews, that's all part of your application. And... The way to think about it is we look at everything, and that kind of goes back to holistic review. We look at you as a whole person. We look at your whole application, which includes, you know, your activities, personal statements, interview performance, letters of recommendation, uh, things like that. And we look at every piece. So you mentioned interviews, Kyle. So, um, you know, what were some of the questions you got on interview day, and how did you feel you answered them? So uh, for the University of Utah, obviously, they have eight different areas that they grade you on. In the interview process, they're able to ask about six of the eight. They don't ask about GPA and MCATs. They're not really concerned about that because you'd meet the... And just to give you an update, Kyle, we actually changed our criteria. We now do seven. So you have to have five out of seven. So thank you. All right. Sorry. Go on. No, that's fine. So the the time periods and the criteria have changed a little bit. But um, they're obviously going to ask about those those seven different areas. Mm-hmm. And when I went into the interview, I had six. They just pretty much, the interviewers, some of them, um, wanted to just ask all the six areas. Boom, 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 go down the six mm-hmm. and kind of just check it off to make sure that we had it and then we could explore further. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was right off the bat one of some of the questions, the very six. Tell me about your physician experience, your research experience, your volunteer experience, and boom, 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 whatever the other categories are. And so well, I got those questions. I'll review that. So, right, so there are five areas I'll ask about leadership, physician shadowing, patient exposure, community service, and research. Those are the, those are the five areas. So the so, one we dropped was extracurricular activities because we found that everyone was meeting that and um, is low yield as far as information goes. And so um, we got a lot of feedback from the pre-medical advisors as well as current students that it was kind of a pain to kind of check those boxes. And, you know, we like to listen to, you know, the people that we work with. So we decided to get rid of that. So I apologize. Go on, Kyle. So. No, that's okay. So we, we had got those, and we got those out of the way. And then, and then they went right into my interviewers. They, my interviewers had read my statements. Mm-hmm. And every single year they had read my statements. And like I said, the one interviewers that I had that I felt were really good were the one interviews that I knew exactly what I was writing, but that I had solid writing. And so they, they didn't necessarily have to go through it and say, why did you say this? Did you mean this? I mean, it was, it was, my writing was clear. And so it allowed us to have a conversation instead of an interview about my writing and about some of those other experiences that I, that I had wrote, written about. And so those are the questions that I got were just about me and about my writing, but they knew my application. And when I had a solid application, we had a much better interviewer. 
Well, let's kind of transition and shift, Kyle. Um, again, when I go out there a lot, people are very curious about what med students do with their time. And I like to tell people that's a new age. You know, used to be, you know, med school was 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Uh, but, you know, we really think it's important, you know, to like work hard, study hard, and play hard. And one of the things I know you're involved with, Kyle, is sports. All mm-hmm. right. So let's talk about sports. Let's, let's tell me about the sports scene as a medical student here at the University of Utah School of Medicine. So um, the selection process for the class of 2015 was, I don't know if they had a special sports box there, but many of my classmates uh, play sports, and it's not just one or the other. There's been a flag football team, there's been soccer teams, there's been basketball teams, and they're all done through the intramural office and things, and I'm proud to report that my team, we were defending intramural champions two times in a row. We lost the third time. To um, in what sport or is in this basketball? Oh, in basketball. Okay, so this is in basketball. Right. So we lost the third time in the championship and the fourth time in the championship. But mm-hmm. we made it all four years of the championship round, and uh, it was really cool because it brought our class together. And like I said, there were lots of different teams and a lot of different people that were going out and they're doing it. But not only was that, there were there were fantasy football team or mm-hmm. leagues. There were fantasy baseball. There were fantasy basketball. Mm-hmm. Our class um, had a lot of participation. Um, with boys and girls in, in the sports arena. Yeah. So let's talk about some more about that, just, you know, because I don't know that much about it, so I want to learn. Um, so did you guys ever have to, like, cancel, you know, with your busy schedules? Were you able to make all the different, like, times that you were supposed to compete? You, do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Yeah. So um, during first and second years, it's really nice because the classes obviously are, are structured. Dr. Chen had mentioned um, that uh, old school was 8 to 5. Mm-hmm. First years go... One to five. Second so, years. So only in the afternoon. So only, only first years have class in the afternoon. Yep. I'm sorry, go on. And then the second years have it eight to noon. And all the intramurals, the earliest they started was, I think, around six o'clock. Okay. So we were able to, one, go to class, two, study, and three, make most of all of our um, intramural leagues mm-hmm. or t- games. Mm-hmm. Some of them, they weren't. And second year got a little bit more busy, and so we kind of picked and choose which games we showed up to. Mm-hmm. The ones that we could win, there were less people there, and the mm-hmm. one people that we knew we need people. But we were always able to get to the championship round yeah. awesome. every year. And then um, talking about third and fourth years, there was a couple third years and fourth years that played on intramural teams, and they were somehow able to make um, all their games. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the fourth year is a little bit more lenient. Uh, third year, I was surprised that there was a third year on one of the teams. Mm-hmm. But um, fourth right. year, they made all the teams. And how much does it cost per person to participate? Uh, seven bucks. Okay, so pretty low, pretty, yeah. pretty, uh, pretty acceptable. Pretty not, right. not not too many worries there. And um, did you have jerseys or like shirts or how how did that work? If you wanted to, if you wanted to be an elite team. You you could get your own jerseys. But Were we elite team? I'm hearing elite. No, all, no. Okay. We just but. we showed up in our in the pennies that the intramural team intramural office provided, and we made it the championship round, and we beat all the guys that had the elite jerseys. Okay. So did you have like a catchy med school name for your team? <laughs> we did. We always had something that was pertaining to our unit. Mm-hmm. I I wish I could remember. Um, some of them were like. So when you say unit, you mean like what kind of class or yep. block you're, you happen to be in that time as a group of students. All right. Yep. Yeah. So for our uh, metabolism reproduction unit, mm-hmm. we were the gubernaculars. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bit of years. Can you, can you explain what a gubernacular is? The gubernacular is the muscle that elevates your, your testes. Okay. And so we were the gubernaculars. The other one, 
Um, we are ACE inhibitors. Okay. I think for for the CRR block, cardiorespiration regulation or something block. And though though I'm not a blood pressure expert, I can tell you an ACE inhibitor is an anti-hypertensive medication. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And then uh, I can't remember our, our first couple, but uh, they were always some kind of funny thing like that. And they always knew we were the med school team because we were the only name that. And then, you know, winning the championship, what do you get when you win the championship? Here? We all got a t-shirt. A t-shirt. Yay. Yeah, we got a t-shirt. Okay. All right. That's so awesome. Fun. Yeah. Um, and then a personal preference of mine is, you know, you're competing against other teams. I hope that you guys beat the law school and business school, correct? I was sad to report that the law school and business school was we're not there for us to beat them. Oh, so they didn't field a team. That's too bad. They never fielded a team. So who are you competing against? Is this against the fraternity and sorority system? or There was a bunch of fraternities and sororities. Okay. There were also other med school classes. So okay. that was always a rivalry when we paid the other med school classes. Are these within your class or like like, like upper or lower class men and women? Or? Yep, okay. upper and lower okay. classmen. Not necessarily right. um, our own class. Okay. Uh, we usually we whittled that down to one team. When we first started, we had three different teams, mm-hmm. and it got whittled down to one okay. just through participation and stuff. But uh, we beat all the other classes, the 2014 class below me and the 2016 class above us. Congratulations. So we were the reigning champs on that one. Uh, but we never played against the law or business school. We always played against the fraternities. And then I think some people just, friends on campus, just mm-hmm. in the undergraduate world, um, gathered their friends and we played against yeah. each other. Well, you know, what I'm envisioning is all these different sports – you know, and we have a bunch of medical students, which arguably are, you know, type A, fairly competitive people. Yep. Um, Kyle, how did that manifest itself out on the court or out on the field? Um, were, were people taking it really seriously? Were there any fights or anything, any, any cool stories you'd like to share? So I do know of a few scuffles here and there. Um, luckily for us, our class was really, really cohesive. Okay. The, the admission process, whatever they did, to form our class, did a really good job. Okay. And we always were the herd, mm-hmm. and you could never um, don't mess with one of us because you'll mess with all of us. Okay. And so we were really good. But there were some scuffles on the football field. Mm-hmm. Um, I think somebody on the other team decided that they were a hot shot and um, <laughs> went against our players, and that didn't end mm-hmm. so well for the other team. Yeah. And then um, the basketball team, there were always the hot shots on the court. But we always stuck together. I mean, on my team, I had a guy who went to West Point, Mm -hmm. and he had been in the military. And Mm -hmm. so I really wasn't going to mess with him. And then we had always other guys that were very athletically built, and I definitely wouldn't want to mess with them. And so uh, we were a team, and Mm -hmm. we always played as a team, and we always scuffled as a team. Okay. And so we always came across okay, and people knew that we meant business. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we were type A, and we were always competitive. Okay. But – um, we weren't such – we weren't buttheads. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shift. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about, Kyle, because, like, you know, I was kind of asking, like, you know, the other students, like, what can Kyle talk about? <laughs> and apparently you are the king or prince of fashion, as it were. <laughs> so tell me where does this come from? So um, – And I would – let me clarify. Men's fashion. Men's correct? fashion. Uh, men's fashion. Just, all right. just looking we're good. Gonna, for all those podcasters out there, we're going to talk about medical school men's fashion. So <laughs> – um, this has been a recent anointing um, here on the psych ward, actually. Mm-hmm. And it started with my socks. Uh, the latest fashion in men's is to have the kind of calm, usual shirt and tie, mm-hmm. but socks that are kind of really bright colored. And mm-hmm. so a lot of my socks, that's my recent um, 
my recent fad is just to have really good socks and they're all of bright colors. And so when you sit cross-legged and you're interviewing any type of patient, the patient's likely going to notice. And then your physicist, your attending's going to notice mm-hmm. and everybody notices. And so that's what kind of started this. But I've always had, like I said, a, a button up shirt, uh, good looking slacks and a, and a nice tie. Yeah. And to kind of segue into something that will be useful to people who listen to this podcast. I mean, Kyle, what are some ways that you can, stand out or be just very professional, not only on psychiatry, but whatever, you know, third year rotation you're on. Like, how do you present yourself professionally? I mean, what's a good, for men, what should you wear when you're on rounds in the hospital? So always shirt and tie. Okay. Always shirt and tie. That's pretty much the, the standard. Um, luckily on psychiatry, uh, they are plus or minus tie. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can wear a tie. Sometimes you don't have to wear a tie. They're not as strict, but on the hospital and wards and any clinics you'll go to, it's a standard shirt and tie for men. Okay. And for women, they have their own fashion, so I can't be up. But yeah, men, we're, it's we're all, always... Well, I'll have someone else talk about women's fashion. We're just going to focus on men's fashion for now. But uh, it's standard shirt and tie. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people, there's a lot of different uh, gradations of shirt and tie. Mm-hmm. Some people... Um, yeah, there are just a lot of different gradations on shirt and tie. But if you show up with a nice shirt that's been cleaned, um, at Meaning least... ironed and, you know, not wrinkly. Yeah, yeah not even wrinkly or, or, I mean, just just a nice presented shirt and a, and a tie, it's going to go a long ways because mm-hmm. how you look translates into maybe what you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it doesn't always go that way mm-hmm. um, because there's always stuff that you don't know. But mm-hmm. if you look good, you're always going to start off on the right foot. Yeah. Um, so shirt and tie. Shirt and tie. Sometimes uh, you need a white coat. Yeah. Depends on what rotation you're on, white coat. But even that, you don't want the white coat that's been sitting in your locker jumbled up in the bottom of the corner. Mm-hmm. I keep two white coats. I keep... Um, There's a good tip out there. All right, go on, Kyle. I like this. Yeah. I keep I keep two white coats, and one's always dry cleaned. Mm-hmm. So I, I always have one that's fresh pressed, mm-hmm. and then one that I carry in my locker. And if I ever spill anything on it, then I got one to change out. Because mm-hmm. you'll always need a white coat, and if it's a brand new white coat... Or if it looks brand new in white coat, it'll go a lot way than the one that has a coffee stain and that looks like it's been wadded up in the corner of your uh, locker. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then nice pair of slacks. Nice pair of slacks. You always want a nice pair of slacks, and slacks are slacks. But you just don't want to, you know, you just want to be nice pair of slacks mm-hmm. and have a nice pair of shoes. Don't. Uh, I know there's a lot of different fads for shoes and like the five finger shoes and all these kind of things, mm-hmm. but I think um, people expect you to be the kind of the same fashion level from shoes. On up. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're wearing a shirt and tie, I wouldn't recommend um, wearing the five finger shoes or sandals to clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, just wear a nice pair of sh- uh, shoes and things. But um, the socks are nice. I'm able. To, some people like them, but either way, they're going to discuss. They're going to have a discussion, and they're always going to bring a smile to somebody's yeah. face. I think that's the important part. Where do you fall with wearing bow ties or bolo ties? I don't consider. I don't. I don't. I've not wear wore bow ties. Okay. Um, I've always kind of wanted to learn to tie a bow tie. If I'm going to do a bow tie, I'm going to learn how to tie it. If okay. you're going to wear a tie, you better mm-hmm. wear a double Windsor. Mm-hmm. Um, a single Windsor is kind of the halfway to do it. But where to wear a double Windsor on the tie? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to wear a bow tie, I want one that's. I need to learn how to tie. I know some of my cl- classmates wear uh, the bow ties. Yeah. There. How, how many people wear bow ties? In your I'd class? only say like. Two. And they do it kind of consistently or just every once in a while? One of them's consistently. One of them's not so consistent. Okay, okay. But um, when we got introduced... Because to me, the bow tie says, hey, I'm different. You know, I'm not going to conform and wear a regular tie. You're like, right. What do you think, Kyle? Would you agree they, with that? Um, if you have an English accent, I think it's okay. But other mm-hmm. than that, I think they say it's making you look different. Okay. And that may be good or bad, depending on the specialty and mm-hmm. depending on, on your own kind of thing. But... Um, a good-looking tie goes a long way. What about ascots or scarves on rounds? No. No. 
<laughs> Have you ever seen one of your classmates wear one of those? No. Okay. So for the people out there, what's a NASCOT? Just a handkerchief in your pocket, I think. Okay. Around your neck? Around your neck. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually didn't even know what it I wear a scarf maybe with my suit. But okay. Never on rounds. Never on rounds. Right. You don't – you want to look good, but you don't want to stand out. Okay. The only things that I stand out on is my socks, and that's to draw the patient's attention because patients are often a little bit um, going through a hard time, mm-hmm. and the bright colors kind of makes them – has them get a smile on their face. Yeah. But you don't want to stand out on rounds. Mm-hmm. If you stand out on rounds, and that could be mm-hmm. harmful. Yeah. So when you say stand out on rounds, are you talking about avoiding extreme colors? Avoiding, yes, excessive okay. colors. Like okay. you don't want to have. Uh, what kind of extreme colors would you avoid? Purple hair. As our as our as our bona fide men's fashion <laughs> expert. I wouldn't go in there with a pink tie. Okay. I wouldn't go in there with purple hair. Okay. Um, I wouldn't go in there. A lot of people wear softer colors, like soft pinks for shirts mm-hmm. and those type of things. But um, I definitely wouldn't wear a, a flamboyant green or just. Uh, Something shirt that looks like you should be on the road crew, mm-hmm. like that orange type of orange. Mm-hmm. But other than that, if it's soft or whatever, I, th- I think you're okay. Just look good. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty old school. I think they'd call it. I don't know, but just not, just not going out for a Saturday night. Yeah, and I think a general principle. I remember something that I got taught during my medical school training is you really follow the lead of your team. What I mean by that is if you're attending physician wears a really nice tie and nice slacks, um, you should follow that lead. You never, ever, ever, ever want to underdress <laughs> from your attending physician. That ju- just looks just looks bad. And so usually, you know, the resident will emulate the attending, and the, you as a med student kind of emulate the resident and the attending. Um, and if there's going to be any, uh, you know, any deviations from that, you would, of course, get the permission from your team to not wear a tie. You understand? So would you agree with that, Kyle? Or, I, you, I agree. Yeah. Your attending definitely sets the, the tone. Yeah. And if anything, err on the side of being um, more dressed up, meaning just a shirt and tie, mm-hmm. um, but don't be overdressed, meaning you're not going to show up with a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you want to ever dress down, make sure you're following the lead of your attending and resident. How do you feel, Kyle, about shirt and tie being the exact same color? Because I'm starting to see that more and more. Uh, it's okay. I don't okay. necessarily. I like my. If my shirt has got a pattern, my tie is solid and okay. more plain. If my tie is uh, got a pattern and a little bit more playful, I I will tend to have a plainer shirt. Okay. But I think con- uh, you you got to have a contrast. You can't have too wild and too wild. Mm-hmm. You have to have a wild and a calm. Okay. That's so good. that's that's my thing on that. All right. And where are where are medical students, or where do you where where are the, where are the men shopping to get their shirt and ties? Where where are some favorite spots in Salt Lake City to go uh, shopping? We definitely have uh, the Nordstrom Rack. Okay, Nordstrom Rack. Tell me tell me more about the Nordstrom Rack. So everything that Nordstrom usual stores don't sell goes to Nordstrom Rack, and you can usually find some really good finds. You have okay. a little bit more, but it's really friendly to the student budget because okay. Nordstrom's is not friendly to a student budget. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Uh, so but hopefully one, one day once you become attending physician. Maybe you'll shop at Nordstrom's. Maybe, or, yeah. or I'll keep enjoying my finds at the Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, but other stores, like even at, uh, Banana Republic or Express or all these things, I never buy anything on full price. Okay. They always have a sell. Mm-hmm. Banana Republic, I happen to know because that's one of my favorites is Banana Republic. It's okay. always on Wednesday, and they usually have a coupon for 40% off. Okay. So usually you can find pretty good steals that mm-hmm. you don't have to buy on things. But Nordstrom Rack or Nordstrom's, Banana Republic, mm-hmm. and Express, those are kind of the – 
those will make you, I think, look okay mm-hmm. in relative to your fashion. Okay, school. excellent, excellent, very cool. And then you, and just you briefly touched upon it, like hair. So, what kind of grooming would a, a, a male medical student expect to have on rounds and from the treatment team or patients? Uh, just conservative again. Um, you want to be very careful. Uh, follow the lead of your attending for sure. Mm-hmm. Some, some, and follow the the lead in the specialty because mm-hmm. it's definitely a little bit different. ER is much different than, than psychology or psychiatry, much different than surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I err on the safe side. I don't necessarily have a beard. I don't have a mustache. I don't have those type of things. It's not necessarily that some of my students don't or some of my classmates don't, mm-hmm. but I definitely want to err on the other side. Um, that's besides the point that I can't grow facial hair. Mm-hmm. So, um, so clean shaven, I yeah. have clean shaven. Yeah. Uh, my hair's, um, I consider always done, mm-hmm. um, but it's not a wild style. It's mm-hmm. just fairly conservative mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, I know a lot of uh, people in my class have longer hair, even the men, mm-hmm. and they just come up in a ponytail, and I think uh, that's kind of yeah. acceptable on rounds because then it becomes a little bit different than just style. It's yeah. more cleanliness. I think, I think what you said about not being a distraction with your clothing also applies to like personal grooming. You, yep. know, you don't want to have a type of hairstyle or color that, you know, if you're sitting there, just imagine going in and talking to a patient and the patient's just kind of transfixed by the medical student's hair. <laughs> and, you know, that's just, that just brings unwanted attention to yourself. So, yep. um, so something else I want to talk about too, Kyle, kind of go along with fashion, um, is scrubs. All right. So obviously during your medical school training, you get to wear scrubs, correct? And something that I learned, and maybe we can, maybe you had some experience with this, is that um, different hospitals have different colors yep. of scrubs. And hospitals more and more are asking people uh, to wear the scrubs that belong to that particular hospital. Meaning that, you know, if I'm working at the University of Utah, I shouldn't be wearing IHC scrubs or VA scrubs or some of the scrubs in my favorite hospital back east where I did some of my training. Um, so there's that, but a lot of times scrubs are cold and something I learned with time is that I would buy long sleeve t-shirts and wear it underneath the scrub top. And I would try to mix and match the colors, you know, depending on what the base scrub is to kind of make it look nice. Cause even in the middle of the night, you're still interacting with attendings a lot. Um, and you're still trying to look very professional. And I, so something that I thought about, you know, when I was kind of preparing for this podcast is kind of things that I did, uh, because not only, you want to stay warm, but also you know you don't want to have like a blue scrub top, but then have like this bright neon yellow <laughs> kind of long sleeve T-shirt underneath. And if you notice in the middle of the night, you'll see a lot of different people kind of doing different things with like T-shirts and scrub tops. So have you noticed anything like that, Kyle? Or yeah, um, before coming to Primary Children's uh, or. Before coming to med school, I worked at Primary Children's. So most of my experience with scrub is, is in the OR, and mm-hmm. I had my two-week subspecialty already. So I, most of my experience with scrubs is in the OR, and they're very specific about the OR, and especially with um, uh, the ICU for scrubs and mm-hmm. things like that. And so not only does you have to wear the specific scrubs for that hospital, mm-hmm. um, but you also – different team members – are now starting to have different colored scrubs. Oh, really? Cool. So yeah. what do you know? Can you talk a little bit more about that? So um, over at Primary Children's, I don't know. Anyway, um, surgical team are all on green scrubs. If you're like uh, a tech, they have different scrubs. If you're a nurse, you have different scrubs. If you're a charge nurse or a manager, I think you even have different scrubs there. And that's just so that um, – Everybody knows the role or the patients know who you are when you come mm-hmm. into the room because yeah. all the different scrub um, 
identification is posted on the room so that the parents know that you're either part of the surgical team, you're part of the nursing team, um, you're you're an attending physician, just a hospitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's even coming not only just hospital-specific, but actually job-specific. And that's just to help out the communication mm-hmm. um, all the way around. And then as for keeping warm in scrubs, that's definitely a, a tough part, especially mm-hmm. in the OR. The OR is getting to the point where you could use to – have like an over jacket they wouldn't let you wear anything underneath the scrub but you can definitely you could have an or specific uh fleece or something that you could wear over your scrubs but that has to be or specific it can't leave the or and what i was referring to is like uh obviously i'm not a surgeon so i I was you know a lot of non-surgeons i think it's a little bit more wiggle room that you can wear a different kind of long sleeve T-shirts on your scrub tops, but I think the OR, yes, is, you know, because the the need to keep it sterile, I can totally see that. So, yeah. yeah. And so. even on rounds, maybe I'm just a germ freak, but I don't think I would take my long sleeves home that I would wear underneath my scrubs anyway. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a I don't know. There's a lot of things floating around the hospital. Yeah. So um, we're we're almost out of time, Kyle. Let's talk about how do people get scrubs? I mean. Because I, I I'm just fascinated by the way it's changed over the years. So do it, you know? It's changed dramatically okay. over right. the years. Right. They used to just hand them out like candy, I think. Yes. And now it's much more restrictive. Um, some of the hospital systems that we work within, IM or IHC, is a little less restricted than the U because you can go into the locker room and they have the scrubs there. You don't have to necessarily check them out with your badge because um, that's in contrast to now that the U. The U, um, when we go on surgical rotations at the U, it's coded towards your ID badge, mm-hmm. and you have to swipe your ID badge. You get your scrub. So we're talking like a scrub vending machine. Yeah, a scrub totally vending machine. Totally awesome. All right, go on, Kyle. Sorry. <laughs> it's just highly regulated. You had to scan your badge. You get your scrubs. Then you give them back in, and then you can get another pair. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just highly regulated so people aren't accumulating them in, in their closets mm-hmm. at home. So you turn them in to the same machine. Okay. Yep. Wow. It's, it's the scrub vending machine. <laughs> the scrub vending machine. Great. Well, um, I think that's it for today. Kyle, thanks for sitting down with me. Thanks for talking about your personal statements, your uh, interviews, men's fashion, and sports. It's been a good podcast. Thank you very much, Dr. Chan. Thanks for listening to Talking Admissions and Med Student Life with Dr. Benjamin Chan, the ultimate resource to help you on your journey to and through medical school. A production of the Scope Health Sciences Radio, online at thescoperadio.com.